0: So, we live in an age that has been termed an age of anxiety, right? Um, And it's not necessarily like an endearing term for the age that we live in, but I would say that it's a realistic descriptor of the times we live in, which is an age of anxiety, right? Uh, Several reports have come out in the last... Uh, year last couple of months right and all like post-covid you're seeing uh anxiety and depression at all-time highs and and a lot of these reports are coming out in in uh adolescent girls and young ladies uh and so but it's uh, young men and adolescent boys are not immune to this either right and so there's a lot of things that contribute to it uh but when you factor that in to the decision making process it adds a whole another layer of difficulty right so you have so i i sound like an old man every time i do this but social media right um i like sound like that meme of the old guy yelling at clouds right but um Social media exasperates this by by showing you all of the options that you are missing out on, Um, by comparing your decisions to what others have chosen to do, or at least the image that they've curated for you to see. If you add to that dating apps, it seems to open up to endless possibilities. it is a much different world than your parents and grandparents met in right when your parents and your grandparents met they met maybe at church maybe in school maybe in some other way right but they met they probably went to a bowling alley they talked right and then they got married right and it's kind of like that's kind of like how that's kind of how it used to work right and there wasn't really this anxiety over it um you just got married because that's what you do and that's what you're supposed to do. And fast forward to twenty twenty three and we're a world different from that, right? So how do we make these decisions? So the three areas I really want to focus on tonight, well I'll talk about anxiety, but I really want to focus on relationships slash marriage, family, and then career, right? Because I think those are the those are kind of the in 18 to 30, those are the big ones, right? Uh, and they, they come at you fast. Uh, so, but as, we, as we're dealing with anxiety when it comes to decisions, right, how do we overcome it, right? So first we need to identify what it is, right? So, so overcoming anxiety about decision-making. So our fear of risk is often what drives our anxiety about decision-making, right? We fear the risk right? Because with a decision comes an unknown consequence, right? Because you cannot predict the future, right? So there is an inherent risk in every decision that we make. Some are small risks and some are big risks, right? So our fear of risk is what drives our anxiety about decision making, right? Before I go too far into this, I do also want to say, so like some people, experience anxiety when it comes to decision making. And some people experience anxiety all the time, right? And so, if you're a person that experiences anxiety all the time, uh, it is really, really important for you to talk to somebody about that, right? Uh, Because there are a lot of helpful strategies. There are a a lot of godly counsel that can help you overcome anxiety and live a life where you're at least minimizing it, right? Where it's not controlling you. So, so if you find yourself in that boat, I would encourage you to find godly counsel. But if we're talking about just kind of that run-of-the-mill anxiety that kind of gets, us, gets to us all of the time, right? And, and it particularly comes up in decision-making, right? How do we overcome it, right? So we have to identify it, right? So there are four ways that we complicate decision-making, right? They are overthinking, overconsulting, overchecking, over-checking, and over-escaping. I don't think over-escaping is a real word, but um, <laughs> you get the idea, right? So, so, so what are these things, right? So overthinking. So decision anxiety keeps itself going by ruminating on the problem, right? This constant, what if, right? This constant, should I do this, right? But these, the, these ideas, they... They, they they play us right so so what if i get this job and then i hate it right or what if there's somebody better for me or what if i'm just in this relationship because i'm afraid of being alone or what if there's a better way to spend my time right or 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 there could be a hundred different what ifs for every decision we make and when we dwell on those and when we uh when we think about all of those scenarios, right, it stalls us. It stops us from making decisions. Overthinking. Overconsulting. So I just, several hours ago, talked about how you should uh, consult with godly people, right? Mm-hmm. So this is not to say you don't do that, right? But overconsulting is this, right? So leaning too heavily on the opinions of other people right? So perhaps we don't trust ourselves to make a good choice, right? And so maybe there's a reason we don't trust ourselves to make a good choice because we've made terrible choices in the past, right? So one, there's God's grace for that. But two, you learn from those mistakes and you grow from those mistakes, right? You're not the same person the last time you've made those terrible mistakes. Um, and then this can also look like reaching out to others, right? Good thing. But when the sense of risk doesn't go away, uh, you keep reaching out to too many people too many times, right? Until you get, you think you'll get the answer you want, but you might not ever actually get the answer that you want, right? So I used to, uh, I used to work in in mental health. And the, the common thing in mental health was people would go to Different psychiatrists or psychologists, and they would kind of bounce around until they got the diagnosis that they really wanted, or the one that they thought they had, right? And then the one that they really wanted, right? And it's, 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 it's pretty a common occurrence in mental health. That's kind of this over-consulting idea, right? So you are just going to too many people too many times to try to get the answer that you think is going to give you a sense of peace and, and reduce the risk, but you're just not going to get there. The other way is over-checking, right? So over-monitoring whatever risk indicators we have. So this can get especially complicated when we have the belief that God leads us to wise decisions through impressions and felt assurances, right? So if we think that we need a sense of peace before we do anything, or if we think that we need to hear the still small voice of God, or if we think that we need a sign, or a fleece, or whatever it might be, then this gets really, really complicated, right? Because we're constantly checking for those things, but the reality is, is that God doesn't promise any of those things, right? God promises to be with you, but God doesn't promise you that he will give you a sign before every big decision that you make, and the last thing, and I think this one is really typical for a lot of us, is over-escaping, right? So decision anxiety is ultimately about risk avoidance, right? So we come up with these strategies to avoid making the decisions that we have to make, right? Uh, in little things, it can look like uh, scrolling our phones. Or uh, it can look like uh, shopping or video games or, or, or any other thing that we are... Uh, investing our time in in an effort to not have to do the thing that we have to do, right? Or an effort to not have to make the decision that we have to make, right? There's a, you have access to a million different risk avoidance strategies, right? You know what your own are, right? I know what mine are, right? Mine is Twitter doom scrolling, right? Just like Man, like, just go through it. This is the worst world in the This is the worst world ever, right? Um like that's my risk avoidance strategy. I know what it is. You guys know what yours are, right? But if we can know these things and we can name these things, then we can address these things. Right? The interesting thing about over escaping, right, is is it It can look two different ways for two different types of people, right? And we'll stereotypically think of someone who's a a couch potato, right? Someone who's wasting their life sitting around doing nothing, right? But it can also be somebody who is a workaholic, right? It can be someone who's investing all of their time and energy into their work, right? And by doing that, they're still avoiding the decisions and the the choices that they have to make. So... (coughs) I don't know each of you I've only met you this weekend right so I don't know where we fall on these right but you do you do right and it's likely that each of us deal with one or more of these at, su- at some level so as we can identify them then we can address them right so identify them but then don't be afraid of discomfort um, the Christian life is, contrary to in general popular evangelical belief, is not a call to easy or necessarily materially blessed living, right? It is a call to take up your cross and to follow Christ, right? And with that comes inherent discomfort. And so if you aren't experiencing discomfort, you might not be doing something right, right? So do not be afraid of discomfort, or you can, you can phrase this in a positive way. Do the good things that you are afraid to do. So do the good things that you are afraid to do. Don't be afraid to actually speak the truth and live out the truth of God's word. So, just real quick. So, just a few strategies. How do we overcome anxiety about decision-making? So, one. Um, Set a time limit to make decisions, right? Set a time limit to make decisions. Now, this might not necessarily work for every decision you have to make, but for a lot of them, you can set a time limit that you have to make a decision within, right? If you don't, then we find ourselves just kicking it down the road, never getting around to it, um, and using these avoidance strategies, right? Secondly, make an effort to care for others, like your church's children. Sign up tomorrow. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, no, seriously. Uh, Make an effort to care for others, because one of the things about anxiety is that it makes us inward focused, right? Mm-hmm. It is about our desire for our own comfort and our desire to avoid the risk, right? So make an effort to care for others. Think about others outside of yourself. And that happens to be the second greatest commandment. So um, it's, it's in the Bible. Lastly, take inventory of what is holding you back from making a decision and then deal with that root issue, right? This takes introspection, right? This takes knowing yourself, knowing your own strengths and weaknesses, uh, and that can be difficult for us, and that can be, we all have our own blind spots, right? So this is where good godly friends can also come in handy. But take inventory of what is holding you back from making decisions and deal with that root issue, right? So if it's fear, deal with the fear, right? If it's, um, if it's laziness, deal with the laziness, right? Like if it's these things, deal with these things. So now let's get to the apply decision-making principles to these areas right so relationships family and career right so um i have eyes so i can see that some of you are already in relationships but um or some of you are married or whatever right but um how do we make good godly choices when it comes to these three areas right so relationships right honor god in your relationships this is nothing new right? This is not the first time you're hearing this, but it's something that we need a regular reminder of that God at the center, it ought to be at the center of all of our relationships, right? Whether they are platonic or romantic, right? God ought to be at the center of our relationships. Follow God's moral will regarding how you treat that other person, right? You are not in a relationship to benefit yourself you are not in a relationship to get something out of it right um, maintain sexual purity until you are married and I know that you have heard all this before right but also I know that the rates of people who have grown up in church who cohabitate before marriage is at an all-time high that uh, that uh, sexual behavior is on the rise, right, among, among Christian youth, right? So just because you've heard it doesn't mean that you're doing it, right? So maintain sexual integrity before marriage. Uh, I know it can be tough. I was in- dating and engaged once. Like, I, I get it, right? Um, but sex is intended for marriage right and within marriage it is it is something that is valued and intended for that purpose and intended for procreation as well right but God puts those boundaries in place not to take fun away from you right but to ultimately to protect your heart so maintain sexual integrity in your relationships um keep god as the priority now this isn't to say that when you are looking at a relationship so uh i don't know 20 years ago longer than that probably probably 25 years ago someone from your former denomination he who must not be named he um wrote a book called i kissed (laughs) David goodbye and the whole premise of his book was that um you have to court your, your, your future mate, right? So, like, if you're going into a relationship, you're exclusively going into that relationship because you intend to marry that person, right? I'm not telling you you have to do that, right? Uh, but, but I do want you to remember, to keep in mind, that the end result of dating is marriage, right? Or ought to be marriage, right? So, so you don't have to, like... The first person, like you're 16 years old, the first person you date is the person you're going to marry. (laughs) Unlikely, okay? Um, So uh, even 18, 19, 20, right? It's it's less than likely, right? Um, But in those relationships, keep in mind that the end result of dating is ought to be marriage, okay? So when you are dating... Prepare yourself for that. Think about those things, right? So the Bible doesn't necessarily tell you who to marry, but it does tell us a lot about marriage, right? And marriage is good. Marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church, right? Don't let people tell you that marriage is an antiquated or patriarchal, or colonial, or whatever derogatory term is in vogue right now. Do not let people convince you of that, right? Marriage is good. Marriage is ordained by God. Um, and so we have this, this kind of situation that's occurring in the world around us, right, where marriage is delayed and and it 's delayed for lots of different reasons and and there 's legitimate reasons, and then there 's non legitimate reasons right and, and so some of the reasons for delayed marriage right uh, a drive for more education, uh, a transient lifestyle among younger generations, right so just this kind of um, know moving from place to place and never really settling down or making connections or or tying yourself to one place it's difficult to really connect on a deep level Um, greater discretionary incomes right so if you're making typically it was you get married and you combine all of your all of your assets and all of your incomes and you live together and you live off of that right but now there's a greater discretionary income so it's people don't feel that they need that anymore Uh, A desire for more experience before marriage, right? So there's some that say, well, I want to, before I get married and have kids, I want to travel the world, or I want to do this, or I want to do that, or I want to basically do all of these things that I feel like are going to make me happy, right? And marriage is going to prohibit me from being happy, right? Um, You have higher rates of living together before marriage. Um, and you have greater and habitual independence, right? So people don't want to, when you get married, you have to give up a lot of your, yourself, right? You're, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into this. People don't want to do that, right? People, are, well, people can be selfish. We can, we can desire to just go on doing what we've always done. But marriage is good, right? Right? If you are, if you have the option not to delay marriage, right? So maybe you haven't had dated somebody yet. So then maybe marriage is on the table, right? But if you are dating somebody and you're moving along, right, you don't have to put this off forever. Um, Kevin DeYoung, in this book, Just Do Something, he uh, he has some good quotes in here. and On page 105, he says this. He says... So I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with being single, but gentlemen, there is something wrong with waiting around for God to pluck a woman from your side. He did it for Adam, but he's not going to do it for you. So no matter who you marry, it will be hard work. So find someone to marry and work at it. You may get cold feet before walking down the aisle, that's normal, but don't overthink yourself into lifelong celibacy, right? Right? Marriage is good, pursuing <laughs> marriage is good um, and so so what does the Bible say then also about marriage right? So we have uh, marriages between a man and a woman. Marriage is instituted by God, right so in Genesis two, he says that it is not good for man to be alone, so he creates a woman, he institutes marriage, right Marriage is one family, but marriage and family is one of three things three institutions that god ordains family church government that those are the three right so marriage is a big deal right god loves it god ordained it if god so a general rule of thumb is if god ordained something in the first two chapters of the bible it's a big deal right um Christians should marry other Christians. So, um, and both should be mature, right? So if you are a mature Christian, do not pursue somebody that is immature in their faith, right? It is, in most cases, have you ever heard of their missionary dating or whatever? So, <laughs> right? In most cases, it works the opposite way of you intended to work, right? You get drugged down easier than you bring somebody up. So pursue someone who is a mature believer. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness for what fellowship has light with darkness, right? Christians ought to marry other Christians and mature Christians ought to pursue mature christians marriage is also permanent right this is this is not a i will try it out and see how it goes right like when you commit you are you are entering into a covenant before god um in matthew 19 4 to 6 right uh jesus answers he says have you not read that he who, who he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let not man separate. And then in 1 Corinthians 7:39 Paul writes, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives but if her husband dies she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, right? When you get married, you're in it for the long haul, right? But I don't want to say that in a pejorative way, right? Because um, you will grow in a relationship with your spouse. You will grow old together. One of the benefits of getting married young, right? And I'm not saying like get married at like eighteen, like a child bride thing. But a, a benefit of getting married <laughs> young, right? Is that you will then develop your strengths, you will develop your interests, you will develop your lights alongside your spouse you will grow in these things together and you will get a nice early start to it right but then you you haven't you know you haven't fully formed who you are until i don't know your 30s really like i i i, I, I look at the picture from like five years ago right like you're you're changing right um like you're changing right but if you marry at a, you know, a reasonable young age, not 17 or 18, but a reasonable young age, you will grow together in these things, right? You will grow together in your strengths and in your interests and your hobbies and you name it, right? And that's a wonderful place to be. Um, so marriage is permanent. And then husbands and wives ought to be faithful to each other, Right? Hebrews 13.4, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. When you are committed to your spouse, you are committed to your spouse only. Um, There is not room for uh, lust and infidelity, right? This is the person whom you have joined together with before God. And you are committed to that person, right? Now, so, not all of you are married yet. Some of you are married. But as you are dating, or as you are pursuing marriage, or as you are maybe recently married, right? Be a godly person worthy of marriage. Um, Prepare yourself to be a person who loves God, who loves others well, who is not selfish, who maintains integrity and purity, who demonstrates commitment, right? These are steps that you can take as a single person to prepare yourself for marriage, right? To, to be a godly person, to love others well, to not be selfish, to maintain integrity and purity, to demonstrate commitment, right? And if you're looking for someone, then look for someone <coughs> with those qualities. Um, and young men... Practice being the relational and spiritual leader that God has called you to be. Um, One last quote from Kevin DeYoung. If you read nothing else, this chapter called uh, Work, Wedlock, and God's Will is really helpful. But he, uh, he says this. He says, let me say it one more time. There is nothing wrong with being single. It can be a gift from the Lord and a gift to the church. But dudes, listen to this. But when there is an overabundance of Christian singles who want to be married, this is a problem. And it's a problem I put squarely at the feet of young men whose immaturity, passivity, and indecision are pushing their hormones to the limits of self-control, delaying the growing up process, and forcing countless numbers of young women to spend lots of time and money pursuing a career, which is not necessarily wrong, when they would rather be getting married and having children. So men. If you want to be married, find a godly gal, treat her right, talk to her parents, pop the question, tie the knot, and start making babies. (laughs) Right? Right? Which brings us to our next point. Right? (laughs) Family. So, the Bible is not going to tell you precisely how many kids to, to have. Right? But it does have a lot to say about family and children. Children are a gift from God. Psalm 128.3 Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Psalm 127.3-5 Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit, of the, room, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Having kids. Is a blessing from God, right? it is not a burden on your life now, like I said, the Bible doesn 't tell you how many children to have there's some people that interpret this quiver verse as, Have as many children as you can possibly produce in the time that you could have babies right'm not saying you have to do that right four was plenty for us, but um But seriously and strongly consider having kids and don't wait until you feel like you're ready because the trick with that is you're never actually going to be ready to have your first kid, right? Um, Trust God with your kids. You're never going to be fully prepared, but God will bless you. As you grow, as you as you grow your family and as you raise your kids, uh, you will 100% make mistakes along the way. Uh, but good news: kids are surprisingly resilient, <laughs> and God gives lots of grace. Right? You also have a stewardship to you have a stewardship to raise kids in a God honoring way. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Right. As Christian parents, it is our duty to raise our kid in a way that honors God, to teach them about who God is, to demonstrate the love of God to them as we raise them, right? To show them what grace is by, man, when we mess up, acknowledge it to your kids and ask their forgiveness, right? Um, These are all, for all of you, future steps. I know. I don't think any of you are pregnant at the moment. But do not buy into the lie that kids are a burden or that kids hold you back in any way. Kids are a blessing from God. And babies are super cute, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, eventually they're going to do things that drive you insane. Uh, and you will, you will deal with uh, frustrations you didn't even know you had, right? But through marriage and through kids, God is also going to transform you more and more into his likeness, right? You will learn. Your sin will be exposed to you in ways that you don't even realize right now. Our our selfishness is exposed, right? Our our pettiness is exposed. Our uh, desire for comfort is exposed. Our priorities are exposed, right? And and if we are seeking to make God-honoring decision, that exposure then will help us to correct that sin in our life, to repent of it, and to grow into greater and greater likeness of Jesus Christ. So, get married and have babies. That's the application there. Lastly, career. Most jobs can be God-glorifying. Most jobs can be God-glorifying. So, when you're considering a career, run it through the filter of God's moral will. Right? So, I want to be a doctor. Great. I want to be a doctor that performs abortions. Bad right um, you see, you see if, if you're going into a career that that uh, would cause you in any way to um, violate the moral will of God, then it's not a good career choice for you. another one, and I haven't talked a lot about it, but conscience right if you're in a career that violates your conscience right, then it is not a good career choice. you so run it through the filter of god's moral will right a serious question that you're going to have to ask yourself is this in the day and age that that we live is will this career force me to affirm something that i know is contrary to scripture that's a question that we have to ask ourselves in 2023 and beyond right Will this career force me to affirm something that I know is contrary to God's will? God's revealed moral will. I will give you an example. So I said that I worked in mental health, right? And I really loved it for a long time. I worked in it for 10 years. And I had a client who, he was a 12 year old boy. And I was, me and the other people on the team were just, just positive that he had been sexually abused because of how he acted out, right? And so we got a, a psychosexual evaluation done for this young man. And I sat in on this interview, more as an observer, right? And in this interview, this is, this is six years ago, more or less. And in this interview, um, the psychologist, who I didn't really know at the time, began to ask leading questions to this young man about... Uh, His gender identity Right And so It was things like uh, Do you ever feel like a girl? Um, Do you have a girl name? Have you ever worn your mom's clothes? Things that were kind of just like Out of like nowhere Right They they didn't come up naturally Right And so after this After this um, Evaluation I was like I was like What the heck did I just see? And what just happened? Right Because six years ago uh, gender was not as big of a deal as it is today, right? Mental health is like five years ahead of the curve in a bad way. Um, and, and so, six years ago, it was like this is new to me. And so I go and I talk to some other coworkers about it, and I'm like, I'm expressing my my concern. And they took the complete opposite approach of me, right? They're like, Well, of course, that would be the root of his cause. his gender identity, right? I'm telling you that this was a 12-year-old boy who couldn't be left alone in his home for fear that he would burn it to the ground, right? Like, this is extreme behavior. But in their minds, it was like, well, he's perfectly capable to make this decision, and this is the root cause of his behavior, right? It was at that moment that I knew that my career and my time in that field was over, right? Because that is a clear and obvious violation of my conscience, and it is a clear and obvious violation of the moral will of God. And it's something that I was not able to affirm, right? I'm not saying that you can't go into mental health. It's not what I'm saying. I think that Christian counselors are extremely necessary. Um, but it's a, it's a sticky field, right? It's tricky, and it's tough to navigate that, Right? There's certain career choices that are going to put you in those positions, right? And we have to be acutely aware of what God's will says about these issues, right? We have to have a strong conscience. We have to know what we believe and why we believe what we do. Um, And it can be tough. Like I said, it was a job that I really loved. Now, I love this job a lot more now. But, uh, and no one bites me, but um, it was a job that I really, like, I put a lot of time into it. And I put a lot of training into it. Um, when it comes to your career, use wisdom, right? There's things that a career needs to provide you with, right? A career, for some of us, we get a great sense of meaning out of a career. For some of us, it's a job right and that's okay you don't have to love every day that you go to work right but if you have a job you need to be able to provide for your family right that is very clear in scripture and first timothy 5:8 says but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever right you need to be able to provide for your family career 101 right it might be taking a job that you don't love but it's for a noble cause you don't need to make a ton of money, you just simply need to be able to provide, right? So this also means prioritizing necessities over wants. Another thing to consider when you're taking your career, and this is, what, this is something I say to high school seniors when they're going away to college a lot as well, but if you're in a career that is going to take you out of where you live now, right, consider... Consider what churches are in the area of where you're going to move to, right? Like, don't put yourself on an island for a job, right? Don't remove yourself from the people of God for a job, right? Um, I say this to college students as well because, man, it's like so common for, you you go away to college and it's like, man, you take a four-year break from church, right? And it's the it's the worst possible time you could even think about doing that, right? But it's it just seems so common, right? And, and the same thing can happen as we consider career choices and where we're going to move, right? Is like church even on the list of considerations we make, right? So now you're, you're again, I, like I said earlier, my second favorite church in Millersville Manor Township, right? <laughs> um, you're you're in a wonderful, wonderful church body right now. Uh, not all of them are as great, right? And, and, and when, you, when you make the transitions, it can be tough, right? But when you are making a career, seriously consider, is there a local church that I can be a part of, that I can invest in, that can invest in me, right? Don't make that like an afterthought. That needs to be on the checklist of career choices. Um, and then pray. Pray that you are making a decision based on hope, faith, and love, right? So that is that you are following God's will of desire in this career, right? You each, are, you each are gifted and talented in different ways, right? If you are a person that just can't stand other people's kids, then you probably don't want to be a teacher, right? If you are a person that can't stand the sight of blood, then you probably don't want to be a nurse or a doctor, Right? If you're a person that hates animals, you probably shouldn't be a vet, right? Like, you know, we're each, we're just, we're wired different ways. And we and we know the ways that we're wired. And so there are certain career paths that are better for us than others, right? Use wisdom to help discern those things. Get wise counsel, right? Have these people. Ask them, hey, can you see me doing this, right? Can you see me doing Whatever this career choice I'm considering is, right uh, get that good advice and then be willing to listen to it, right? get good advice and be willing to listen to it. There's another thing that that comes in it's, its um, comes along with as you age, right Those are medical decisions right and I know I go through a lot, but apart from me, right. I have a friend uh, who at 30 years old his, at 30 years old his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer right that's not much older than you guys um, these things come and when they come, you have a lot of decisions to make uh, there's complications with childbirth right there's complications with your kids there's, there's all sorts of things that come up that you're going to be responsible to decide and When it comes to medical things you don't have a lot of time to decide those things right which is why those three secrets of spiritual success are so important right be a person who is committed to your christian disciplines be in god's word be in prayer be with god's people it makes all of this so much easier so uh when rightly ordered marriage is good family is good work is good pursue these things but pursue them for the glory of God Uh, don't buy into the lie that these things are a burden or that they hold you back from a fulfilled life so uh, do something don't sit out Don't stall in the place of life where you currently are. So in 10 years, you should not be the same person. Love God with your whole heart, your soul, and your mind. Obey his word. And if you're working on those things, right? If you are working on love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your mind, right? Then do what you'd like. It's that easy.